All right. Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys can hear me okay. Um, but glad to join you on this Sunday morning. This is, as mentioned earlier, hopefully one of the last few online gatherings that we'll have. So years from now, maybe we could look back and go remember that crazy time when we were meeting together as a church on Zoom. And I uh, definitely look forward to this being over. And, and just know we hope to share regathering plans very soon. And we think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So we're going to be talking all about that, especially in our members meeting. But we'll let everybody know uh, in the next few weeks what the plan is going to look like as well. So we are for sure going to regather. The main detail is actually where we're going to regather. And that's going to be uh, the big topic for us to talk about next time we meet. But uh, last week when we did gather together uh, physically, we actually started a new sermon series called The Five Loves. And this is a sermon series that I am pumped about because I think it is something that our church uh, needs, especially as we uh, plan for the future. And last week, if you guys remember, we first looked at the vertical relationship we're, practiced, we're called to practice love in, which is to uh, love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And we looked at that in the Old Testament through Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, but starting these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different horizontal relationships that Christians are called to practice. And we're going to start today with the first one, which is going to be found in John chapter 13. And we're only going to be looking at two verses of John chapter 13. So if you guys have your Bibles, if you can turn to verses 34 to 35 of John chapter 13. And we'll be reading these two verses together. This will be an interesting message, so hopefully hopefully, because it's on Zoom, I don't go too overboard, but we'll see how it goes today. So always exciting because I think because we only have three more Zoom meetings or four more, a few more Zoom meetings rather, uh, the, the preachers, we might we might go a little crazier these days. And so before we, we are more held accountable as we meet in person. But anyways, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, if you're with me, I'll be reading these two verses out loud for us. So this is Jesus sitting with his disciples, a very famous passage. And in verse 34, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the reading of God's word. So recently I read a book about culture and language, uh, and it's a very you know boring book for some people, but I find that stuff to be actually pretty fascinating. And one thing that I found to be interesting is, which I'm not sure if you guys know, is if something is important to a culture, they'll not just have a word for what that thing is, but they will have many words for what that thing is. So for example, rice. Think about rice. Americans eat rice somewhat all the time, but not every single day. And so in America, rice is not really that important. And therefore, there's only one word that we have for rice. Rice. When rice is in the field, it's called rice. When rice is harvested, it's called rice. When rice is in the bag to buy in a store, it's called rice. And when you cook it and you serve it on a plate, it's called rice. But, and that's how rice works because it's not very important. However, in Asian countries, rice is a little more important. So for example, in Indonesia, where rice is a staple food, there are not, there's not just one word, there are many words for the word rice. When it's in the field, it's called padi. When it's sold in the store, it's called baras. And when it is cooked and served on the plate, it's called nasi. 
different words for the word rice because it's important in Indonesia. However, you know what's not important in Indonesia? Pork. Pork is not important to them. You know why? Because it's a Muslim country, so they don't eat pork. And therefore, in Indonesian culture, there's only one word for pig, which is pig. That's it. There's no other word for it. But in America, oh, we have many words for pig, do we not? When it's in a barn, alive, we call it a pig. When it's slaughtered and killed, it is called pork. And when we serve it on a plate, it's called pork chops, sausage, bacon, you name it, right? In other words, we see that in a culture, when something is important to that culture, there are many words for that thing. And if it's not that important, there's only about one word for that thing. That's how it goes. That's how it is. Let me ask you a question. What about love? What about love? How does our culture view love? How many different words do we have to describe the word love? In Hebrew, there are three different words that are given for love. In Greek, there are six different words that are given to describe love. But you know, in America and English, how many words we have for the word love? One word, love. That's why it's awkward for two friends who are guys, especially when they tell each other, hey, I love you, man. Kind of awkward, right? Because as Americans, that's the only word you have at your disposal. You only have love and you don't know what kind of love you're describing there. It's kind of awkward sometimes for people to say it as friends. And you know what's really weird about this? What's weird is that our culture, it seems like love is actually really important. Isn't it all about love? We have music and songs about it. We emphasize that so much. So that's where I get tripped out. Why is it if we care so much about love that we only have one word for love? And here's my thesis of why I think that is. I believe we only have one word for love because the focus of our love is always the same thing, ourselves. We are the focus of love all the time, and therefore, we only need one word for love, which is just love. David Brooks, he's a New York Times writer, and he says that Westerners, we especially, we transform this relational idea called love to benefit not the other person, but to always benefit ourselves. We can't help but do that anymore. So we enter relationships of love with people who make us feel good, who support our goals, who lift up our self-esteem. That's what's happening. That's how we define love. That's how we feel love. That's what love is to us. And what's ironic about that is we live in a time where people never felt more alone, where marriages have never been more broken, where community has never been more fractured, and where people have never felt so unloved in their lives. Very strange. Why is this happening? And this is why I love that our sermon series we're going through is about the five loves. Because Christianity, it challenges and pushes back against this modern notion of love that we all simply presume. You see, the focus of our love, it's not supposed to revolve around ourselves. But to experience true love, the focus is meant to revolve around the other person. That's what love is. We are called to love different types of ways 
because we're called to love different types of people. And that's why most cultures have different types of loves, even words for it, including the Bible, whereas as Americans, we only have one. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to, the next few weeks, continue looking at different types of love. But today, we're going to look at one type of love that's so important and yet so misunderstood, and that's love for one another. Love as a church. What does it mean for us to love one another as a church community? What does it look like and why does it matter? And I think this is especially important right now as we prepare to regather, because once we regather together on Sundays, what is our love going to look like? What, how should we relate to one another after being a year apart? And so there's going to be three things that we're going to talk about as we look at John chapter 13. Number one, the pattern of love. Number two, the proof of love. And number three, the power of love. The pattern, the proof, the power. First, the pattern of love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, the passage we just read, Jesus, he is celebrating a Passover meal with the disciples, and he's having what we now know as the Last Supper with his disciples before he dies. But before Jesus departs and leaves his disciples to his death, he gives his disciples one final instruction to follow. In verse 34, it says of chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now, why does Jesus give this final command? Don't the disciples know how to love already? How is this command new? I mean, the disciples, they're all Jewish. They know the Old Testament command, as we heard last week in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor. They're already told to love. Plus, they follow Jesus around everywhere. And Jesus taught that the law and prophets, you can summarize that by all the Old Testament. It can be summarized by love for God and love for your neighbor. So why does Jesus say, hey, I have one last thing to tell you, and it's something new, guys. When I go, here's what you have to do. A new command, love one another. How is that new? What makes this command new is not the command to love one another, but what makes the command new is how they are to love one another. That's the key. In the four loves written by C.S. Lewis, which is partly what inspired our sermon series. It's a great book, by the way. Highly recommend reading the four loves. C.S. Lewis, he describes that there are actually different types of loves that we can practice, but that your Greeks have organized, and you could see it in the Bible. So, for example, storge, which is a Greek term, that describes family love. And the reason why you love your family is because you're familiar with your family. You grew up with your family. There's a lot of familiarity there. Philia is brotherly love. You love your friends. It's about friendships. And you love each other because of commonality. You have things in common. Eros, that is romantic love. And you love one another because of sexuality. You are sexually attractive to one another. And what Lewis argues is that all those forms of loves, they come very naturally to us. You don't really have to teach that too much to somebody. And the reason why these come naturally to us is because you gain something from each of these loves. These loves never, therefore, just looks at the other person going, I want you to be good. I, I look for your good. But Lewis says it actually does actually focuses kind of on yourself. You're looking at the beloved, but you're also looking at yourself as well. This is the natural way, the natural pattern of human love. 
and it's hidden everywhere in our relationships. For example, marriage. My wife and I, we try to love one another. We try to show each other, not just feel love, but show each other love. But honestly, the focus in our loves, it tends to be about ourselves more often than we'd like to admit. For example, my wife, when I talk to her, hey, I haven't felt loved by you these days. You know what she'll tell me? She goes, I've been loving you. You know how? I clean, look at the house. I cleaned the house and it's for you. It's for you. Even though I feel nothing when she does that. As much as I appreciate a clean house, I don't go, wow, the house is so clean. Lena loves me. Like I never felt that before in my life. Versus me, when if she complains, hey, how come you're not loving me? I'd be like, what are you talking about? Yesterday when you're watching TV and lying on the couch, I lied right next to you and I put my arm around you. That's me showing love. And Lena, my wife, she would tell me in response, she doesn't feel loved by that. That's nice, but it does make her go, oh, Tom, my husband loves me so much because we have really different love languages in that way. And if you really think about it, you know why we love each other that way? My wife, I think when she cleans the house, she doesn't just do it for me. She does it for her. She likes a clean house. And of course, it's for me too, but this is something that she enjoys also herself. Same thing for me. When I cuddle next to my wife, it's not just because, oh, my wife loves to cuddle, but I like to cuddle. And therefore, we're practicing not just love for the other person, but we're practicing love in a way that Lewis says comes naturally to us all. A love that benefits both parties. This is the human pattern of love. And that's why when Jesus says, disciples, love one another, he doesn't leave it to the disciples to decide what that looks like. Jesus, he provides a new pattern of love. We are to love one another, according to verse 34. And what does it say? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. How did Jesus love his disciples? Jesus says, love, love each other like I loved you. How did Jesus love them? What was the pattern of his love? And I know a lot of us think, oh, the cross and so forth. Amen to that. But more specifically in John 13, there's context. Right before Jesus gave this command, do you know what Jesus did? Famous passage earlier in chapter 13. While they're eating this last supper, Jesus gets up. He takes a, he takes a towel and ties around his waist gets a basin of water, and starts washing his disciples' feet. Since the disciples walked all outdoor all day, washing feet is not a very nice thing to do. It's pretty dirty and messed up. In fact, only household slaves would wash the feet of people. But Jesus, being the master, being the rabbi, being the teacher, he bends down to each disciple, washes their feet, even though they are his followers, to show them something. In chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should, also, you should do just as I have done for you. You see, what Jesus was trying to do at that moment is show the disciples a new pattern of love. A love that's not, that does not seek good in itself but solely seeks the good of the other. The only person that benefits from the washing of the feet is the disciples, and it comes at a cost to Jesus. C.S. Lewis, when he looks at this passage, he tells us there's something different going on here. While human beings are used to philia, they're used to storge, they're used to uh, uh, eros, love that benefits one another, what we see here in the New Testament is a unique type of love that he calls agape. Divine, he calls it a divine gift love. And Lewis says agape 
is different from these natural loves. Desires what is, it desires simply what is best for the beloved. Again, natural love, it's always directed towards object, which the lovers finds in some way intrinsically lovable. But Lewis says divine gift love in the man enables him to love what is not naturally lovable. It's a pattern of love that's so counterintuitive. But Jesus says, if you are my disciples, love each other this way. You know who can resonate with this the most? Agape love. The closest people who have experienced agape love at our church probably are new parents. If you're a new parent, you kind of have a taste of agape love. Because if you're a new parent, I know you wake up every day to change your baby in the morning, in the middle of the night, throughout the day. You literally, just like Jesus washed the disciples' feet, you don't just wash their, your baby's feet, you wash their butts. You clean up their, their dirty soiled diapers. You feed the baby, you entertain the baby. And you know what your baby does? Your baby never says thank you. Your baby never appreciates you. Your baby doesn't even show you love back. Your baby won't even show you affection. If they crawl towards you, most of the times your baby, I know this, they're not crawling to you. It's because you have something in your hand that they want. That's why they're showing you affection. You're simply somebody who's giving them what they want. And yet you as a parent are practicing this type of love that's giving, 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 giving. It's so hard. It's so tiring. You get nothing out of it. And yet every parent I talk to, when I ask them, what's it like being a parent? After they complain about how hard it is, They'll all tell me, though, that even though it's so hard, I never knew love like this. I never knew you could love something like this. I never knew you could love someone like this. What's going on? Why do parents feel that? It's because when they are giving themselves purely to somebody and not receiving anything back, they are experiencing the purest form of love. They're experiencing agape love. They're experiencing a love that Christ is talking about in this passage. And what's unfortunate is a lot of us think the only way I could experience this type of love is if I have a kid, if I become a parent. But what Jesus is telling us is this is not meant to be a love that we experience only as parents. It's meant to be a love we see all the time in the church. Imagine about a month from now, if our church started regathering and we started to practice love like this, what would that look like in a church? You know what it looked like? What it looked like is on a Sunday. When we come together, we don't just talk to our friends after worship. We don't just go, hey, let me go to my wife. Let me go to my husband. Let me go to my friends. But we spend 10 minutes reaching out to somebody we don't know going, hey, who are you? Welcome to our church. Where do you come from? And we start talking to them. Why would you do that? You gain nothing from doing that. That's agape love. That's a sign of agape love. What if throughout the weeks, I see your Insta stories. You always have your friends over. You always have people over from throughout your home or when you hang out. What if on your Insta story, there's somebody that we, people don't recognize going, huh, they're friends? What the, what, why are they spending time together? Oh, it's because you just reached out to them and you wanted to get to know them. What is that? It's a copy of love. What if we gathered in church events and we went not caring if our friends are there? What if we went just going, hey, the church is going to be there. I'm going to be there. What if we did that? You know what happened? You know what's going to, what you kind of start to see in moments like that? You will start to see the pattern of love that Jesus is talking about. Agape love. And when you see agape love happening in a church, something extraordinary happens, which leads to the next point, the proof of love. Jesus tells us when a community loves one another, where it's not about them benefiting, but about the beloved Everyone will know that we are his disciples. Verse 35 of chapter 13, it says, by this, key word, by this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this verse it tends to be very familiar, so we just gloss over it, but you must realize the radical claim that Jesus is making here. What Jesus is saying is a community that loves one another as Jesus loved them, if we are doing that with each other, we will look different than any other community in the world. There will be no community like this that the world has seen. Because most communities, they are bound together because they like each other or they have a commonality with one another. Country clubs, why are they meeting together? They're all rich. They're all part of the same economic class. GOP, why did the political parties meet together? They all have the same politics. That's why they're all rallied together. But the church, what the church is supposed to be are people from different economic classes, rich and poor, different racial backgrounds, different political parties, and yet they are together worshiping, fellowshipping, loving. There is a type of love that they have experienced that is binding strangers and enemies. What Jesus is saying is if you love one another the way I love you, the world's going to see that there's something unique about this love. There's something unique about the love of Christ that binds two of you together. Back when I was in college, I had known, I remember there was a, a guy that I knew. I had classes with him and I was part of like a church ministry with him. And this guy, to be honest, he was kind of a jerk off. He wasn't very nice. I didn't like him. He was everything I don't like in a person. Loud mouth arrogant, full, full of himself, at least from my opinion. And so we kind of butted heads when we were, when we crossed paths with one another. And to be honest, I didn't want anything to do with that guy. If he ever went to a, an event, I wouldn't go to that event because I just didn't like being around him. A few years later pass, I'm older, everyone's older. And one of my closest friends, he is about to get married and he has a bachelor party in San Diego for the weekend. And guess who's invited? That guy, the jerk off because they happen to be friends. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna spend a whole weekend with this jerk off back in college who I just do not like. Oh, I really don't wanna go. But that friend who was getting married, he was a really close friend of mine. So I was like, okay, I will go because of that friend who I'm really close to. And so we had the bachelor party in San Diego over the weekend. And you know what? It was great. We had a great time because we just enjoyed, we did activities together. It all revolved around the person who's getting engaged. And even that jerk off who I did not like, I grew to like him. I was like, hey, he's kind of, he's arrogant, but in a funny way. He's a loud mouth, but in a funny way. In fact, it worked well for us in restaurants when we had to get tables. Like it was actually good that he was as arrogant and loud mouth as he was. We almost became friends, almost. We're still not friends, but we almost became friends after that weekend. And the reason why is because, not because of each other, but through our mutual love for that friend who is getting engaged. Through that mutual love, we were able to almost connect and even become mended in our differences with a person who I normally would not care about. This is what Jesus says happens when people from different backgrounds, from different political views, from different races, different age groups, they come together in love not naturally with one another, but because of their common love in Christ. In fact, this is why the church multipl multiplied from 120 disciples in the first century to the entire Roman Empire within 200 years because of this love that the church had for one another. 
In fact, there's one quote I want to share with you guys that we're doing something different, but this quote was, I thought, too helpful to not read through. But let me read this quote for us about one about the early church. What the quote says is that barbarian, Scythian, bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, they sat down at one table and they felt themselves all one in Christ Jesus. They were ready to break all bonds and to yield to the uniting forces that streamed out from his cross, there had been never anything like it. And he continues to say, it was only that the disciples were obeying the new commandment. A new thing had come into the world. A community held together by love and not by geographical accidents or linguistic, linguistic infinities or the iron fetters of the conqueror. The new commandment made a new thing and the world wondered. That's what was going on in the church. That's what made a church so powerful. This is a vision that Jesus has for his disciples and for his church. People who aren't just holy together, who don't just worship together, but people who love one another as he loved. People loving the church, not because this church fits their brand, it fits their idea or their image, not because they like the sermons only or because the people here get me, but simply because of Christ, they love one another. You see, naturally, we want to share life with people our age, who have similar common interests with us, who have a personality that's compatible. But imagine seeing a community where an older person who's married with kids is hanging out with the younger college student going out for a meal. Imagine you see a socially awkward person sitting down with a socially capable person, and yet they're talking with one another and hanging out. Imagine you see people, wait, I, why do they have anything to do with one another? They live in different places. I never see them hanging out usually. Imagine them sharing a meal together with one another. What's going on in a moment like that? What Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, early uh, 20th century uh, Christian, he says that this is a type of love, when you see that, where human love stops and spiritual love begins. When you see people loving one another, despite the barriers, spiritual love begins and the world begins to notice. I've seen glimpses of this in our church, by the way. Some of you guys, you guys are good people, man. You talk to people, I'm like, you know, I know you're not talking to them because you like them. Uh, in fact, you probably would rather not talk to them, but I see you talking to one another. I see sometimes people go out for coffee with each other just to get to know one another. The way you guys serve sometimes, when I see you guys serving, I'm like, why do you, who comes early in the morning to serve like that for people that they don't, that they uh, are, are they're missing on worship, but are doing for their people, community groups, and you guys gather together. I'm like, wow, you guys are different, but you're gathering together. It's great. In fact, you know what the clearest glimpse I've see, been seeing in our church? We've had new members join our church. You know what's really encouraging? We have older members reaching out to the new members just to meet on Zoom, just to get to know each other, just to welcome them in our church. And it's awesome when I hear back going like, that was very encouraging. I never experienced that something before where a church member welcomed me to their church. It's so encouraging. And moments like that shows the world that there's a love out there that brings healing, that brings unity to different people. And it's in Christ's church. Very encouraging, those glimpses. But here's another thing. If I can be a little bit candid, when I look at our church, while there are glimpses of good things, I also see glimpses, well, you know, I don't know if that's the type of love that Jesus is describing in the church, in our church. For example, let me give you a couple observations. In our church, I often see people treat church like an event. We come late on Sundays. We leave early. As soon as the sermon is over, we just bounce. We don't talk to anybody when we gather on Sundays because it's just, it's just about the sermon. And as long as I do the sermon, I'm, I'm church. We don't talk to nobody throughout the week, Monday to Saturdays. We're just with our every other friend. 
And the result is what we're doing is we're sitting with one another weekly. We're worshiping together weekly, but there's no love. There's no real love going on in our lives. We're just worshiping, which is great, but that's not going to do anything to impact the world. Or here's another observation. Some of you, you think you love people in our church. You know why? Because you hang out with people in our church. On your Insta stories, on Sundays, you are talking to people. You stick around. You go out to lunch after Sundays. But you know, if you're really honest with yourselves, you're only going out with the same people. You're not loving the church at that point. You're loving your friends who happen to go to your church. If they left the church, you would still hang out with them. That's how you know they're not just church members. They're friends who happen to go to your church. You talk to the same people on Sundays. You hang out with the same people throughout Monday to Saturday. You are constantly together with them throughout meals. Community groups are hard because your friends aren't there. And you think, oh, I don't get along with these people. And But you think you're loving the church when as in reality, you actually are just loving your friends. You're just loving your friends. And that's not the type of love Christ is talking about here. Some of us, we hear uh, us say, hey, I love the church. I want to spiritually grow. I want to know the Bible. But if you're really honest with yourselves, you'll only do that with people who you like. I remember I was talking to our staff. We we're kind of talking about together saying, hey, we, if we ever did like a study or a Bible study, let's have it like a church thing. What do you think? All of us concluded, you know, at our church right now, probably not many people would join. But if we invited you, hey, you want to join a study? And this, this friend of yours would be there. This friend of yours would be there. And this friend of yours would be there. And we're going to read through this book together. Would you join? I'm pretty sure most of you would join. You know why? Good vibes. You know it's going to be good vibes. And it's all about the good vibes. But hey, we're going to have a study. You don't know who's going to be there. But we want to learn about Christ together as a church. No thanks. I got better things to do. I'm good. I'm busy. I'm busy now. What's going on? Or here's another observation. I see people get discouraged when we serve a lot. We're serving, serving, serving. And we get really discouraged because, man, people don't know what I'm doing here. Man, nobody says thank you. Man, nobody knows the work and labor I do for the people here. And so we grumble. We'll serve, but we'll grumble. We'll complain. We'll let people know we're not happy. We'll let, the, we'll let people know, hey, I do so much. And we're just not happy when we do it. Or here's the last observation in our church. I see people, we judge our church because, yeah, you, you preach, Tom. I see those things too. This church, we don't welcome people. We don't love each other. That's, what, that's the problem at this church. And just know with, with folks like this, I empathize most with the folks like this because that means you kind of see the shortcomings of a community like this. But realize when you complain like that, when you go, what's wrong with these people? No one pays attention to me. Realize that you are still practicing a type of love where you are at the center. You're still practicing and seeking a human type of love rather than a divine love where, hey, what can I do for the beloved? What can I do for this community? And as a result, if this is the majority culture of our church, where we practice love like this, just with our friends in the church, just with one another, we grumble, we complain, we only do it if it's good vibes. You know what our church will feel like when we regather together? We're just like a CrossFit community. It's just CrossFit. Or it's just like your workplace. There is a, it's just like any other community you will find in the OC because all of us are still practicing and seeking a human love rather than a spiritual love. To practice spiritual love, it's not that crazy, guys. It's not that crazy. It requires us making small moments of sacrifice on a regular basis. 
It, require, it causes us to talk to people we don't know once in a while, to serve every once in a while, to invite people to meet with them that we don't normally invite, to attend a community gathering that we don't necessarily feel like attending. And what Jesus says is he promises, if you see a community of people who love each other regularly like this, the world will notice. Something is going to happen in your church. And this sounds ideal. This sounds like it would be great if we could do this when we start regathering. Can you imagine if you have friends who don't go to church, but you go, hey, at my church, you're going to be welcome. I'm confident if you come to my church, you're going to feel love. Because at my church, this is the type of way we do love. We don't just spend time with our friends only, but especially when you're here together with us, I'm confident you're going to feel the love of Christ here. Wouldn't that be awesome? But you know what? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's discouraging to imagine that because how is going to happen? We're tired. It's a long year of COVID. And when we gather together, it's going to be really easy to think it would just be like it was before. Just like before. What's going to change? And that leads to the last point. The power for love. The power for love. We need to recognize that if we are told only, hey, love each other. Say hi to the newcomer. This is what Jesus did too. If Jesus is only an example of our love, we're done. We're done. We can't do it. We will fail if we simply see Jesus as the model, as the example. Unless you are loved yourself, it's going to be really hard to show love to other people. That's why people who come from broken homes, it's hard sometimes to trust the way we would want to trust because we have not received that in our lives. And that's why Jesus, he tells us the only way you can love like him is if you don't just see Jesus as an example, but you see that Jesus does something more for you. In John chapter 15, two chapters later, after chapter 13, they're still eating dinner. But what's interesting is Jesus, he gives the disciples the re repetition of a command. He tells them in chapter 15, hey, love one another. He says it again, but very interesting. He actually shifts it where he goes, hey, I want to tell you something else on how you can love one another. If I could show us the verse, this is what Jesus says. Chapter 15, verse 9 to 12, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus, in other words, is saying, hey, if you want to do this, if you want to love one another, like I said, the key is abiding in my love. Because remember, when Jesus gave this command to love one another, Jesus was sharing a last meal right before he died. And what was he doing? Why did he have to die? He, was, he had to die for our sake. He was crucified for his disciples. The disciples whose feet he washed, and later the disciples, they just abandoned Jesus. They just ran away. But Jesus, knowing this, he still washed their feet. He still went to the cross and was crucified, and he still forgave them for their sins. He still loved them the way that we are told to love. He actually doesn't just show it, but he gave it to them. And Jesus doesn't just do this for his disciples. He does this for you, for me, and to anybody who places their faith in him. So how can we practice love for one another like Jesus? Not by looking at each other saying, hey, I'm going to love you, so I hope you guys appreciate it, but by looking at Jesus. We love one another in this way, not expecting people to do anything for us in return, but knowing that Jesus, his love is there and that he notices what we're doing. This is the only way a community could sustain itself to love each other like this. 
where when we're empty, Jesus is the one who fills us up. You know, this past year has been really difficult. I'm very aware, especially as we close up this year of meeting online. And you know, the even though it doesn't seem like much, you know, a lot of people are doing a lot of things this past year in our church. You know, the PowerPoint slides that we're showing earlier, you know, that's not part of the Zoom program, right? It's not like it just happens automatically. Like, oh yeah, there's a PowerPoint. That's great. We always have a person who sacrifices their worship to do PowerPoint for us. And they never complain. They're just kind of there. And you can't, by the way, if you ever done PowerPoint, you can't worship. Like you just have to focus on the words because people get angry if the slides go too slow. But you know, every Sunday for a year and a half, there's been a brother or sister who's always on the PowerPoint doing that. And I don't think a single person ever probably said thank you to them. I don't think they ever received a thank you. And it's not your fault because nobody knows who that person is. <laughs> like they're just doing it. And that's just, they sacrificed their worship. That must be hard. You know, those graphics that we show on Sundays for our announcements this past year, uh, those graphics, we don't get them off Google Images. You know, we have people who actually put together off their free time a graphic for us to have a visual so that we can know, oh yeah, that's the announcement. And again, I'm not sure if anybody they've ever received a thank you for that. You know, the emails and updates you get members, when you get emails and updates going, hey, don't forget members meeting, hey, don't forget this. You know, it doesn't come automatically either. Uh, we have an administrator who does that all the time. And I'm pretty sure nobody has emailed back going, hey, administrator, thank you for that email. I almost forgot that members meeting. Oh, thank, thank you. I know that took time off your, off your schedule to do that, but I really appreciate it. Or community group leaders. You know, community group leading, it's, it's, I know for some of us, it's tough to be part of a community group. If you're part of a community group in our church, to be a part of one, I have to be on Zoom. I'm so tired. You know how tough that is for a community group leader to hear? Like they don't want to be there too, but they're like, okay, I have to put on a smile. I have to be like, hey, welcome to our community, y'all. Oh, this person, where's they? They thought they didn't want to come last minute. Oh, okay. I guess that's okay. You know, you know how hard that is on a weekly grind to serve the community in that way. And again, I, at the end of every community group, I'm pretty sure not everyone goes, hey, thank you for leading us. Thank you for hosting us. And that can get really hard after a while. And I think a lot of us, that's what we experience. In fact, not just people in our church who experience that, as a pastor, this was really hard this past year, where you feel like, man, you try to do a lot for the church, but ah, what's, what's the point? What's the, you know how exhausting it is to prepare a sermon, to prepare a sermon in the room this past year, to record it in front of a video camera, and then after the service, you talk to people in the church, and they go, oh, I slept in. Oh, Zoom is so hard. Oh, it's, to be honest, it's hard to pay attention to things. You know how discouraging that could be where you're going, why am I doing this? Like, why do you put hours into preparing a message for people if they don't care? And I get it because Zoom is hard. I completely understand. Or it's discouraging when you, when you want to do something. Hey, let's do something together, church. Let's read our Bibles. Let's pr do prayer meetings. But then the main response is, well, who's going to be there? They're not there. I'm not going to be there. It could be discouraging. Like, why are we doing this? Or it could be tough when you're trying to shepherd a church and you really pray for the church. And when you ask, hey, how are you doing? And they go, everything's good except spiritually it's rough. Spiritually it's rough. No, not, not your fault, Tom. Not the church's fault, but it's just rough. Again, you can't help but think, what's the point, man? <laughs> what is the point of what we're trying to do if that's kind of the affirmation we hear? Personally, that's how I felt this past year, if I were to be honest. What's the point of everything that we're doing? Why do we keep doing this? But this is where I'm learning something that I think Jesus wants all of us to learn. Your love and service for the church, it cannot be fueled by the church. If you're looking to love and serve and care for the church, expecting 
a similar type of love and care to receive be given back to you by the church, you will always be disappointed. You will always be discouraged. You will always be burnt out. And that's where I need to remember, and our church members especially, we need to remember, this cannot be the type of love that we practice. This love that looks for this mutual sustainability. It's nice if you get it, but you're dead. You're done if that's what you expect. When I'm not feeling affirmed by how I'm loving and serving the church, instead of going, how dare these people not appreciate what I'm doing? Don't they see the PowerPoints? Don't they see that? Do I remember, wait, but does Christ affirm me? Is Christ, am I, is Christ someone who's pleased as I do this? When I feel bitter and unappreciated, do I remember Christ? He could have felt bitter towards me and unappreciated by me, and yet he still served and died for me. When I'm tired and I feel like I want to just detach myself from the community and the church, do I remember that, hey, maybe at this moment, instead of feeling burnt out and messed up or jacked, perhaps this is the moment where human love stops and spiritual love actually begins. When a church practices love like this, this is when the world notices. This is when things happen in a church gathering. And so as we prepare to regather as a church, please realize the most important thing about our church will not be the venue we meet at. It will not be the quality of worship that we have. It will not be the programs and ministries that we reestablish. The most important thing that Jesus wants us to do that will make an impact in the world is we remember that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And we can only have that type of love when we experience constantly the love of Christ in us. So as we prepare to regather in a few weeks, would we prepare to really receive the love of Christ and prepare that we, not just the ministry leaders, but all of us have a responsibility, especially as members of one another, to love each other, not just to love our friends, but to love those who Christ calls us to love, just everyone who comes into our doors. Let's all pray together.